Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Well, thanks for taking the time. Sure, my pleasure. Um, you and my husband have something. I met Governor Greg Abbott in mid June in his office um, in the Capitol. And, you know, I'll have to say, on a one on one level, he's warm, he's friendly, he's charming. <laughs> Fair question. We talked about our kids, you know, we talked about um, my husband, who is a lawyer and, uh, and went to UT Law School, which is um, Greg Abbott went to UT as an undergrad. So, where are y'all from? Well, I'm an adopted Texan and he's yeah. an El Pasoan, so. Well, you at least know what hot weather's like. Oh, my God. Just, you know, they, it's hotter in Texas than Georgia. It is. Uh, <laughs> but when we spoke, though, you definitely saw um, you saw a lot of the different forces that he was navigating. He avoided talking about any specifics of any bills, avoided being pinned down on things like whether President Joe Biden won the election. One of the things that some of the Republican Party have said is that they don't believe that Biden legitimately won the election. I mean, do you agree with that? Listen, I, I will abide by what the courts have decided. Right. And he said, I will abide by what, what the courts have decided. And I think that really speaks to what people say is his judicial bearing, that he sort of um, can also be a touch aloof, not necessarily being the one out in front with a proactive strategy or narrative, if that makes sense. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today, Texas correspondent Renu Ryasum on how, despite a lack of star power and at times a lack of political clarity, Governor Greg Abbott has managed to keep a hold on Texas for the past seven years and plans to again in 2022. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Buenas noches, mis amigos. When people think of Texas politics, you know, they think of these larger-than-life characters. They think of, you know, Ann Richards and George W. Bush. I'm delighted to be here with you this evening because after listening to George Bush all these years, I figured you needed to know what a real Texas accent sounds like. And Greg Abbott is so interesting because he doesn't fit that mold. He's so he's super low key. Um, you know, he doesn't come from a legislative background. He comes from a judicial background. He was a lawyer. He um, served as a judge for many years. He was Texas Attorney General before he became governor. And you know, he's really cautious. I'm both people who don't like him and people who do like him say he's also incredibly smart. Um, And one of the most salient features of his biography, uh, when he was in his 20s and studying for the Texas bar exam, he got hit by an oak tree that was that was falling and um, and paralyzed from the waist down. So he's in a wheelchair, and um, and it's one of the it's one of these interesting things where former staffers and people I've talked to said um, it's given him incredible focus on the job. It's also made it slightly challenging for him to campaign and travel. One of his political strategists actually said that he was worried that being in a wheelchair makes people think that he's not as conservative as he really is. And I thought that that was an interesting observation as well. That is interesting because it kind of ties into this profile you have of Abbott out today for Politico, looking at how he's a bit of a political puzzle. He's not a conservative firebrand, which you might expect in a state whose last Democratic governor was more than 25 years ago, Ann Richards. But at the same time, Abbott is definitely read enough that he has drawn a lot of criticism from Democrats and the state Democrats nationally, and is sort of a political shapeshifter 
of sorts, who's been able to thread the line of changing Republican politics in the state and keep a grip on politics there for more than seven years. How has he done that? So the thing to know about Greg Abbott is unlike his predecessors, he became governor when Texas has basically been a one-party state. It has been you know, a pure Republican state ever since he was first elected in 2014. Thank you all so very much. Lieutenant Governor Patrick, Speaker Strauss, I look forward to working with both of you as we unite to make Texas even better. And that's meant that, um, you know, Abbott has some of these moderate tendencies in his first State of the State address in 2015. He talked about all these things that seemed really bipartisan, like, you know, research funding and transportation funding. I mean, anybody who lives in Texas knows, you know, <laughs> be happy to have the roads better paved. And, you know, he talked about um, pre-K education. As we look to some of these challenges, the way I see it is that our journey begins with striving to create the best education system in America. But, you know, Texas and the country, you know, first there was a Tea Party wave, then there's this Trump wave. And it's become, the state has become increasingly split between these two factions of the Republican Party. And you've seen Abbott sort of maneuver between those two factions. And that's really largely defined his um, political career. And, um, and it's interesting because I think one of the criticisms of him is that he is this just really formidable powerful political figure, that he's somebody who knows how to win elections, he knows how to raise money, he knows how to sort of do all this behind-the-scenes maneuvering. But in terms of a vision and a policy um, vision that he's going to leave the state with, you know, it's really hard to know where he'll leave the state. He talks a lot in these very generic conservative terms about jobs and safety and, and all of that. And I'm sure if you ask him, you know, or when I talk to him, he'll talk about his legacy being about you know, Texas being the best state to do business in, about the legacy of job creation and people moving here. But those aren't the issues that he's been focused on this summer. And those aren't the issues that um, he's become a lot more vocal about in recent months and even years. Well, it's kind of funny hearing you talk about some of these more moderate ideas and maybe a lack of vision and also reading your nuanced portrait of what he stands or doesn't stand for. Because as someone who's not really followed the everyday of Texas politics, seeing him nationally, I feel like I know him as a politician associated with anti-transgender policies who has called a special session to vote on election legislation that critics say could hurt voting rights, who's been against some COVID mandates, which all are deeply right-wing seeming to me. And I mean, just watching, he's been someone I've associated similarly with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, whose name obviously is floated as a potential presidential contender, also as this response to some national democratic priorities. Yeah, I mean, I think there's speculation about him running for president. Um, I don't know if he will, but definitely... You know, definitely he's been mentioned a lot alongside Ron DeSantis as a future national figure. Um, and he is turning into that. Don't get me wrong. I mean, 
he has prohibited school districts and local governments from implementing mask mandates. You know, he's done a lot of things that have upset uh, local governments here and even moderate Republicans, for sure. I mean, uh, this past week, he directed one of his agencies to look into whether some types of gender confirmation surgeries count as child abuse. And that was, you know, it's appalling to some moderate Republicans who say we don't need to pick um, these sort of culture war battles. And it's, you know, all in this effort to sort of burnish his conservative credentials. But, you know, like I said, I think his tendencies tend to be a little bit more nuanced. And this is a big state. And, you know, the urban areas are growing, suburban areas are growing. Um, and Greg Abbott also, right now, he doesn't have a Democratic challenger in the governor's race. But when that time comes, he'll need to appeal broadly across the state. And so that's something he's trying to sort of navigate between these sort of factions. And like I said, he sort of dips his toe in the water of these conservative cultural issues without ever really going all in and without ever really... Um, it doesn't feel believable in a way like like it seems like he's doing this to appease um, conservative activists. But I don't know that these are issues that he would really push if he was felt like, you know, he was calling the shots. Well, how do you navigate that exactly? Because Abbott is up for reelection in 2022. He'll have challengers in a Republican primary and then he'll face someone in the Democratic Party and in, in the general after that. How do you both appease a conservative base in a red state to safely win the GOP support needed, but then also not alienate voters you'll probably need in in a general race in a state where Democrats have almost been successful recently. Almost successful. <laughs> they still haven't <laughs> won a statewide election yet. Um, yeah. And they still don't control the state house or state mm -hmm. senate. It's still a Republican state. But this is the game in Texas, right? This is the game for a lot of Republicans in Texas. Not all have mastered that game. I mean, some some of the Democrats that have made gains in the state house and state senate, it's because, you know, somebody on the far right won a primary and then, you know, got a moderate Democrat knocked him out in the general election. Um, Abbott has done several rounds of this. He did this in 2014. He did this in 2018. 2022 is going to be his most competitive Republican primary yet. You know, he won his past two Republican primaries um, with more than 90% of the vote. He didn't have a real threatening competitor in any of those primaries. Um, and this time he's facing three candidates. You know, two of them are really well known. One of them is Alan West, who was the former chair of the Republican Party of Texas, former congressman. Another is Don Huffines, who is a former state senator. Mm -hmm. The thing to note is that Abbott has outraised all of them. Um, he's raised more than $55 million. I mean, he's far and away, has way more money than any of his competitors right now. Um, mm. And so, so I think that gives him a lot of leverage. But definitely, I think there's a thought that um, that Don Huffines, you know, this is a person who's calling for an end to all property taxes. Texas doesn't even have an income tax. And so property tax is how we fund a lot of things like education and healthcare in the state. And then you have Ellen West, that is absolutely not shy about some of these issues. You know, he's, he feels like the governor hasn't been forceful enough on issues like cracking down on gender affirming care for transgender children or these other cultural war issues that Alan West really wants to go all in on. And so there's a thought that uh, that one of these competitors could potentially force Abbott into a runoff. You know, but I think where I sit now at the summer of 2021 with this election more than a year and a half away, Greg Abbott is the person to beat. He has the money. He has the name recognition. He's an incumbent. Um, he has this massive field operation to turn out the vote. And so 
I think this is his race to lose. And a lot of folks I spoke with, you know, Republicans said that Abbott should use the power that he's amassed to advance an agenda um, that does focus on jobs, that does focus on safety, that does focus on education and all of these other issues that he actually talks about, rather than caving to some of these culture war issues that uh, Republican primary competitors are forcing him to, to deal with. Renu Ryasam, thanks so much for talking with me. Thanks so much for having me, Jeremy. Also today, a senior House Democrat in one of the most competitive swing seats will not seek re-election. According to multiple sources familiar with the situation, Wisconsin Representative Ron Kind is planning to retire, marking a gutting blow to House Democrats in their uphill battle to hang on to their majority next November. Kind has spent nearly 25 years in the House. He did face a closer-than-expected race in his sprawling rural Wisconsin seat last fall, winning by less than three percentage points. But Democrats had expected him to run again. And the White House is planning to nominate a longtime aide to progressive Senator Elizabeth Warren to the number two policy position at the Pentagon. Sasha Baker is currently the National Security Council's senior director for strategic planning. As a top aide to Warren, she helped the former presidential hopeful stake out positions opposed to increased defense spending and U.S. action abroad and in favor of more transparency into the defense industry's influence over policy. If she's confirmed as Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Policy, it'd mark a big victory for the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like what you're hearing and want to help us out, tell a friend to check out the show. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.